Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's new Ultra Micro Diameter Injection Arrows. Injection utilizes the new Deep Six standard for more big game penetration than ever before. Learn more about the injection today at www.eastonarchery.com. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, editor Christian Byrne. All right, welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and we're always thrilled that you've taken some time to be with us and get some information to help you be a more effective bow hunter in the field. Today, we have as our guest one of our illustrious field editors, and none other than the legendary do-it-yourself Bow hunter extraordinaire, Mr. Eddie Claypool. Eddie, thanks so much for being with me today. My pleasure. I uh, really appreciate you, Eddie, because as one of our letter writers in the magazine said in, uh, in the upcoming issue, you know how to keep it real out there. You do things the way that uh, the everyday average bow hunter does it, and, and you do it, and yet you take it to the next level, and you've had yourself uh, just an untold number of adventures across this entire nation, and almost all of it on public land, and uh, pretty much all of it uh, DIY style. Yes, sir. I've been blessed. Uh, I come up just a regular guy, and I've earned everything the hard way, and I'm proud of that. And uh, it also helps you to get real savvy when you have to do it all yourself, and you you do have a lot of satisfaction in that. And I'm able at this age, midlife, to feel like you know I don't mind sharing some of it now. I've actually been pretty selfish for many years and just scarfed it all up for myself, but. I don't mind trying to help people nowadays, and uh, we see so much of the stuff on TV that's pretty well kind of canned that I'm more than glad to help someone that's willing to try to do it on their own and get out there and enjoy God's great creation. Well, we had a kind of a nice outline for today's show. If you're listening today and you, uh, you know, right here as we sit, Eddie, it's just the first week of February, and we're looking at... uh, you know, probably about two months for most of us bow hunters across the country before we really have a chance to get back outside with some decent weather and maybe some turkey seasons opening up. So uh, I know you do and I do uh, both look at this time of year as an excellent time to start planning some of our adventures for the later in the summer and throughout the fall and we've got some downtime to get on the telephone and the computer and uh, do our research and make our contacts and so what Eddie and I are going to do is kind of walk those of you who are listening through a little bit of a game plan that you can put together focusing basically on the central plains uh, through the west so starting out uh, we'll hit uh, some plains whitetails and and then move a little further west into pronghorns and then get into mule deer and elk as well so let's kind of start off with some whitetail talk eddie um of course you know the midwest the upper midwest you know your iowa uh, illinois ohio uh 
kind of gets a lot of attention in the whitetail world, and, and rightfully so because there are a lot, a lot of big bucks in, in those states. But um, when it comes to do-it-yourself hunting, those states are pretty darn tough if not getting near to impossible to really pull off a super high quality hunt at a reasonable cost and uh, I know places like Kansas, Nebraska, uh, even Oklahoma where you live there are some really good whitetails on public ground there and you've done a fair amount of hunting for those and and it's not all that difficult or all that expensive once you kind of know how to get about it is that right Eddie? Yeah it is and uh, you know when we talk about public ground that per se is genuine public ground, but most of these states also, uh, many of the central plain states have walk-in hunting area programs too in their game and fish departments, which is actually access to the general public to private property. So that's something that needs to be kept into consideration too. Uh, public land's always there and it's pretty well, you know, not as tightly regulated as to access, but uh, there's also still knock-on-door places in the Central Plains and, and as you travel west. I mean, commercialization has not completely taken the hunting resource up on whitetails yet. Uh, if, I don't know if a guy has the time and would maybe take a springtime or summertime vacation to that country. I often do that and just spend the time driving around making contacts with landowners and trying to you know, still get some good private ground. So. Everything from public to walk-in to private, it's still a little more accessible in the Central Plains and and the Western U.S. Sure. Now, let's say you want to go, I'm just going to use Kansas as an example, but uh, because I know that they actually have a lot of good resources right on the the Kansas Wildlife Department website, for instance, all those uh, walk-in hunting areas are listed there and you can actually find locations. Uh, for private ground where you're permitted to just go ahead and, and uh, park your vehicle and walk in and do do hunting in those areas. So how would you go about typically, uh, if you wanted to put a whitetail hunt together, how do you find a general area where you think that there would be some good hunting opportunities? And then once you have sort of that big picture in mind, how will you nail that down from a distance, Eddie, to kind of narrow your focus to a certain a uh, smaller part of the world where you can actually get in there onto the ground, do a little bit of scouting, and go ahead and start hunting. Well, I tell you, whitetails are one of the most adaptable animals we deal with, and it's amazing as you get into the central plains and travel even to the mountainous west, the adaptability of the habitat that they can live in. And, you know, you can't rule anything out. Everything from the wide open plains to the the lower elk country of the mountains of the west, whitetails are there. You can't overlook any of it. As far as researching specifics out, you know, I I guess it's probably best to call biologists in the areas and talk to them to make sure if you don't have any connections at all in the the areas you're thinking about going to, that any of the central plains and western states are pretty well covered with whitetail hunting, everything from down at very lower elevations up to even the mid-range elevations, uh, so many different types of habitats. So, you know, you can just about choose any water uh, that suits your fancy. And then from that point on, you know, get on Google Earth. You, you know, we have some tremendous high-tech resources that are at fingertips now that I've not had throughout my career I just had to get in an old truck and drive up there and hope for the best. Um, 
aerial photography and Google Earth, you can really look at the habitat almost as if you're there. Uh, call the uh, Game and Fish and get information from them. I say call. See, that's the old timer I am nowadays. You just get on the computer and you know you email or whatever and get information on. Also, don't forget about special hunt opportunities because most western and central states still have areas that they have draw-in hunts on that most people don't even know about. Just the locals kind of keep secret. So scope that out too because there's going to be some tremendous big buck opportunities on whitetails uh, in Kansas and different states that have draw-in hunts on acreages that are managed by the game and fish yet and possibly could be army, you know, ammunition depot type places, mm-hmm. and uh, those are things. Those are things that guys should definitely check out too. Gotcha. So, and, and the other nice thing about whitetail is, uh, in a lot of these states, you mentioned the draw hunts, which are always great opportunities. But in addition to those, in a lot of these states, you know, in the plains and even into the west, you can still get over-the-counter tags for whitetails fairly easily. So, you know, unlike, um, you know, like a prime elk tag, which in most of these states is going to take you a number of years to accumulate the points that you need to draw a tag for a really good hunting area, whitetail hunting, like you said, both in terms of um, the accessibility to land as well as to the accessibility of reasonably priced tags is still a pretty good value in the grand scheme of things for a do-it-yourself bow hunter. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of places that tags can just be bought right across the counter, basically. And, and uh, you know, it might not be the top-end resource we see on TV, but what is? I mean, unless you are, you know, have access to a well-managed Midwestern property, you know, you got to get real. If you're doing it yourself or you got to get real and quit fantasizing about the stuff you see on TV and, you know, set your goals realistically on a decent representative whitetail, have a good time, and, you know, just enjoy, you know, where you're going, look at new country, meet new people, and have a good hunt and kill a, you know, entry-level poking young deer if you can and, and enjoy yourself. What would be some of your top recommendations, Eddie, just as far as states or even some general areas? I know that you're not going to hand out GPS coordinates to every good hunting spot you've ever found, but give, give uh, say, two or three recommendations of states that you'd really look at for putting together a DIY uh, whitetail hunt and uh, maybe even like a couple of general regions or big tracks of public ground where you know that guys could could get some decent action going well first thought there when you talk about you know large areas that are just accessible and have good white populations montana is a premium state it's just tremendous amounts of public ground everywhere blm forest state uh, timber companies, everything, all of that has good whitetail populations and has some really large deer in it. Uh, that would probably be one of my first places to focus on. You might have a little bit of a situation with tag availability. You have to draw there, but it's not real hard to get the permit, and uh, so I, I would focus on Montana. Uh, specifically, uh, you know, any of the major mountainous river drainages in western and northwestern Montana are top end. Uh, 
especially if you get around large valleys that have agriculture in them. You know, you have national forest, and you have a lot of state ground around in that country, and it's not hard at all to get somewhere. It's just actually limitless. I have almost wilderness type of in places that rarely see people. Almost like hell in a type scenario where you can back back into the mountains and hunt them if you want. But that's a good area. And then you can drop into places like Kansas, you know, and Kansas, the tags are a drawing, but they're fairly easy to get. And Kansas, of course, we all know about it on its trophy capabilities. And I've hunted Kansas since the year it first opened from one corner to the other. And I find it to be fairly equally distributed with top-end hunt deer. There's not any one section of Kansas that overpowers anywhere else on big deer. Uh, you you can go from the plains of the southwest to the timbered, you know, northeast Kansas and, and get into really special sized deer. Uh so, you know, Kansas is excellent, uh, with quite a quite a easy tag to get. Nebraska's another good sleeper state and the Dakotas aren't bad either. They have a lot of walk in type hunting. There are a lot of open ground, but those white tails and even big ones live out in that prairie grass a lot more than people give them credit for. And if you're willing to have that type of habitat, you know, the the plain states are excellent uh, opportunities to get into good white tail hunting and on accessible ground. Good, good. Let's move on. I mean, we could obviously spend several hours just talking white tails, but I want to cover uh you know a little more ground than that today and i know you do too let's move on right. uh, to mule deer um obviously the ranges on whitetail and mule deer uh overlap uh, across a lot of the west and uh the tags also overlap in a lot uh, most if not all of these states i guess where both species exist offer combination tags so uh, a lot of these states, I know if you get a deer tag, it's an either-or deal, and you can take a whitetail or a mule deer. Uh, there probably are some areas where the tags are species-specific. But uh, talk to me a little bit about mule deer, Eddie. I know you've done a lot of mule deer hunting, and you've done it from the from the prairies all the way up to the high alpine uh, mule deer uh, in the Rockies. Um, what's your top uh, two or three picks for uh, DIY mule deer destinations and um, maybe focusing a little bit more on just overall opportunity than trophy potential. If if you're somebody like myself back east who doesn't do a lot of mule deer hunting, where can I go and have a reasonable chance of uh, getting a mule deer tag and just having an opportunity to see a decent number of mule deer and, and harvest a representative animal? Well, you know, actually, you know, a top-end mule deer is one of the hardest things in the country to come by nowadays. I mean, they have been picked over for years. You know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, they were a dime a dozen, but nowadays they're pretty thin. Uh, the biggest mule deer are usually pretty highlighted by very difficult to draw tags and, uh, you know, limited hunting opportunity. So like you said, for the do-it-yourself, where you best focus on just a quality hunt, and a representative mule deer, and that puts you into another category because there is limitless opportunity out west for that. I mean, even some of the plain states up through Kansas all the way to the Dakotas have good mule deer hunting out on public grounds. Uh, you know, it's not going to be 
one of those situations where you're going to be run over by a resource. You're going to have to work hard at it and, and do your research. And, you know, get this money there, still available, the tags that are accessible. Uh, if you get into the mountainous west, I would probably focus, you know, or any of the mountainous west states are able to produce, you know, very solid mule deer bucks at any type of habitat from the plains to the mountaintops. Colorado is about as good as it gets nowadays. Um, their tags are not very hard to draw at all. Even the very better units in the state only take a year or two of waiting on preference points. And generally speaking, most of the state can just be hunted with zero points by drawing a tag. And Colorado has been managing their deer real well the last few years, and they're getting some of their more mature bucks back. Um, Wyoming and Montana are mediocre for big deer. They have quite a large number of mule deer, and they're accessible to be hunted, and the tags are not hard to get at all. Uh, probably not as good for top-end deer. Utah has some top-end resource, but the hunts are highlighted as you know trophy hunts, and everybody puts in for years to get them. Arizona's the same way with the Arizona Strip as a premium for a world-class mule deer buck. But you're looking at a decade to draw a tag, probably. And uh, New Mexico, not so great for big mule deer. Uh, not bad for, you know, representative bucks and plenty of ground to hunt on. And, um, you know, that's, you know, kind of the overall on mule deer as far as the resource. There's plenty of it. There's no problem. Anybody from back east can travel west and hunt mule deer on limitless public ground from BLM, you know, to forest, and most every state can pretty well be hunted without a lifetime of waiting to the tag. So it's a hunt that if you want to do it, it's at your fingertips. It's a good bread and butter hunt. You know, elk mule deer and prong horn are bread and butter of the West, and uh, anybody with a vehicle and a few dollars for fuel can go hunt them. Yeah, that's... That's right. And uh, so it sounds like you said that uh, Colorado uh, has a lot of good mule deer and pretty uh, easy tag availability. And I think you had said, um, where else? Uh, Montana was another really good one for for just getting started with the mule deer hunting because there's a lot of land and, and tags aren't too hard to come by. Is that right? Yeah, you kind of get into one tier above easy when you get to the Montana tag procurement. Uh, they have a very complicated way of getting tags. You either draw a deer tag or a combination tag, which is an elk and deer, and you have to research that. Now, if I was just, you know, Wyoming is a state that's not known to be producing lots of giant mule deer right now, but it has plenty of representative bucks, and the tags are extremely easy to draw, almost 100% every year on most of the state. So Wyoming would be a good state you could focus on. Very diverse habitat from sagebrush flats to alpine, you know, and anywhere in the state you can get a region tag and pretty well go. Yeah. And uh, Colorado, you know, is excellent. You get half the states fairly limited and half the states pretty open. So the tag availability in those states are, are pretty well there just for a person to procure. Yeah, I like uh, I like what you said about Wyoming, and that's a good transition to the next species, which is pronghorn, because 
Um, yeah. I was out there a couple of years ago for my first pronghorn hunt. And, uh, of course, I had hunted with an outfitter at that time. But that was a good experience because it gave me the opportunity to get out into that country, Eddie. And then once I had that yeah. experience under my belt, um, after I had come home, and did a little bit of research, I realized that, uh, well, first of all, I saw quite a number of pronghorns as well as a pretty high number of mule deer on my hunt. And after yeah. I had had that experience and had, you know, a bit of an idea of, of how to hunt those animals and what the terrain was like and everything, I was able to come home and do some research uh, on the Wyoming uh Fish and Game Department website and realized that right in that same area where I had done an outfitted hunt, there are quite a number of tracks of uh, public land and uh, publicly accessible private land where I could go out and uh, probably conduct a hunt not very much different than the outfitted hunt that I had done. Uh, just on myself for a fraction of the cost. And like you said, there's a lot of, I know on the pronghorn side, uh, I did some research on uh, previous year's drawings. A lot of the really good uh, pronghorn units in Wyoming have leftover tags almost every year. So you don't even have to necessarily even put in for the draw. You could decide uh, you know, a month after the drawing results are announced in the spring that you want to go ahead and put a DIY pronghorn hunt together for yourself and a couple of buddies. And there are really good chances that you'll be able to pick up a couple of leftover tags and still get a good pronghorn hunt in the state of Wyoming. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's factual. And, uh, you know, the, the more premium pronghorn units in Wyoming that are known to produce the bigger deer and have the lion's share of the public land in them. They are a little harder to draw, but even at that, they're not that hard to draw. And you can all, in Wyoming, a little tidbit of information, you can put a premium choice as your first choice and then a second, third choice as a little bit lesser premium hunt. If you draw your second or third choice, you can still procure a bonus point. So you can still go hunting and procure a bonus point and so every two, three years or four, you could use those for one of the more premium plan units. Uh, a lot of the leftover tags on Pronghorn and Wyoming uh, end up in units that are, you know, they may be 50% private. Uh, they might be 80% private. But there's still public ground in those units that you can hunt. And as you said, there's also usually walk-in type areas that are public, private that are accessible. So... Yeah, pronghorn's an excellent species to cut your teeth on, to get out west, to get your nerve up, um, to get bold and get started. And, you know, I highly recommend that maybe a first-timer address pronghorn. It's a good way to start. Yeah, and the other thing you had mentioned earlier, Eddie, about, you know, when we were talking about whitetails, you said that there's still, you know, some knocking on doors out there in the plain states. And I would say that the same is true of Wyoming in that, uh, you know, for, for people who have never been there, there's just not a whole lot going on out there in Wyoming other than 
uh, ranching and uh, uh, oil and gas drilling. And so there's not very many people out in that country. And, um, you know, if you if you were out there doing a hunt and you were hunting some public land and you happened to notice that there was quite a congregation of pronghorns on some, you know, adjacent privately owned ranch land, I would say that uh, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that you might be able to make contact with that landowner and, uh, you know, he may just give you permission to go ahead and set up on his, on a water hole over there for a couple of days. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not an area that sees an undue amount of hunting pressure. I don't think, um, you know, I really saw uh, anybody, uh, hunting, you know, around there other than, uh, you know, the folks that were in my group. So it's not like it is, you know, those yeah. of us back east here, Eddie, we're used to stumbling over one another in the hunting woods out here, you know. And right. It seems like there's a guy behind every well, tree out in Wyoming. It's not like yeah. that. Well, I mean, that's part of the Western experience. Uh, personifies wide open spaces, you know, and Wyoming certainly does. You know, it's one of the lower populations of any state and large amounts of public land. So it's a no-brainer. Most of the western states are. Uh, you just, you really still, even though we're living in an era of commercialization of hunting, there's still plenty available out west. Uh, shouldn't be intimidated by the, you know, what all we see spliced on TV and in the ads is outfitted this and outfitted that. And, you know, they lead you to believe there's nothing left. That's not the case. You can sure enough go. You just got to get the time and point yourself that direction. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, I would recommend. I know there's a lot of other states where you can get pronghorns. You know, Colorado and um, yeah. Montana yeah. and um, even right. into New Mexico and and uh, Arizona some, and I guess even in West Texas, but. Uh, Wyoming is yeah. Uh, Wyoming, I just because I have I have hunted there, and because I know from some research that there's a lot of resources available for anybody who just wants to sit down at the computer. Um, everything is pretty much right there on the Game and Fish website. You can look at all the public ground. You can review uh, past draw results and see where you can pretty much figure out by looking at those past draw results. And and I'm sure you can do this in every state, Eddie. Um, you can look at those past results and you know right up front how about how good of a chance you have of getting a tag in any given year. You know, you can find the, the units right. where, where you right. can pretty much be guaranteed that you're going to get one. Uh, you know, maybe other units where it's going to be kind of a 50-50 and then other units where, like you said, you might have to wait a few years. So you can get all that information and then that really helps you in your planning process because you have a pretty good idea of where, where you're going to be able to go. Yeah, in the dead of winter every year, you know, it's prime time for sportsmen to, you know, learn how to surf, you know, all the fishing game websites and accrue all that information. I don't necessarily like doing it, but I spend countless hours in this time of year doing just that and, and specifically studying everything, getting it straight in my head and, you know, getting the big picture so that I can make the right choices. You know, you got to do that nowadays, or you're just stabbing in the dark, and you're liable to get burned. And if you just, you know, basically pin the tail on the donkey on choosing a hunt out west, you can you can get burned. You can end up somewhere 
well, there's not going to be any accessible land. You may just put in for a tag in the unit and go there and find out, oh, boy, you know, I messed up. So don't do that. You've just have got to take the time to get on that computer and, if necessary, the phone and, and do the research. Because nowadays we're living in a high-tech hunting world that's micromanaged to death. The game of fish regulations are thick and complicated, and you better take the time to study them or you're going to be uh, you're going to be left in the dust. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the last species that we wanted to cover today, and that's elk. And, and uh, you know, elk are definitely the glamour species of the West. I mean, unless you're really going to start talking about getting into the super tip of the iceberg type stuff like, like you know, mountain sheep and, and uh, things like that. You know, elk is about what I think the high, probably the highest trophy that most of us regular bow hunters aspire to in our lifetimes, you know, of getting maybe a big bull elk. Especially yeah. for those of us in the east, Eddie, you know, for us to, for the average, right. For the average bow hunter back east, um, you know, that's a trip of a lifetime if he can get out there and kill one nice bull elk in his lifetime. Um, Talk to me about uh, elk hunts. We all know that on the outfitted side, a good, you know, a really good elk hunt's running you anywhere from four to eight thousand dollars nowadays, probably. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess you never spent half of four thousand on any of your elk hunts. So, uh, and you've killed a lot of nice elk. So, how do you do it, man? Well, I tell you, I had a leg up on it. I started right off in my early days, and I wasn't intimidated. I just took off out west, and, you know, from the time I was about 19 on, I just swarmed that country every moment I could get. I was addicted to the mountains, and I was addicted to elk hunting, and uh, I have hunted them passionately in almost all the western states other than along the coast, and... You know, nowadays things have evolved. I've watched it evolve for 30-plus years, and it's really the opportunity is less than what I was able to get into as far as for trophies. The trophies are still there, but they're just really difficult for the average guy to get at now unless you have the money and you go outfitted on, you know, ranches and things. If you're going by yourself, there are, you know, most of the premium elk hunts are pretty well out there to... to you know, for everybody to know about. Arizona is a premium. Um, Utah has excellent premium entry, limited entry hunts. Uh, you know, there are big bulls coming out of Montana. Uh, if you ferret out, you know, the standard places that produce them and then you get yourself back in there and work like a dog, like the Missouri River Breaks in Montana has is, is excellent for large bulls. Uh, there are good hunts in Wyoming, they're hard to draw. Uh, most all ones, you know, a classic top in Arizona elk unit to draw is 10 to 12 years in the making. Uh, for the average guy to start off, you know, I kind of call Colorado the Walmart of elk hunting because everybody goes there and, you know, can just buy anything they want. The tags are pretty accessible. They do manage a few of their units for limited entry hunts, but not very many. Most of the state is open. You can get the tag and go. You're probably not going to more than likely access big bulls, but, you know, for a beginner starting off, an elk hunt is an elk hunt. You should go for the right reasons. You should learn what you're doing. You should soak up, you know, the great western habitat. And then as you mature, you can start looking at, you know, 
start right off if you want and accrue bonus points in the states that have the premium hunts. But Colorado is is the destination for the average guy. That's where I started, and it's where I spent all my time for countless years. And I still go back, um, even though I and you know I've been building points for countless years. I can go on a premium hunt every two or three, four years. And other than that, I still go back to Colorado to the unlimited tag areas and uh, some other places like that that are really easy to get general tags. Idaho, you can pretty well get a tag procure. It, you know, it's a drawing, but you can get the tag. Um, you know, Montana is pretty available on elk tags uh, at least every other year. Um, you know, Utah has a general tag that can be got every year, basically. So, I mean, elk hunting opportunities are still there, readily available to the average guy uh, if he's willing to accept the standard, classical, do-it-yourself, average-sized bull hunt. Yeah, well, an average-sized bull's got an awful lot of meat on the bones, Eddie. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of things to be gleaned. Big antlers, we all, you know, love them. But you know, if if it's easy to do, everybody be doing it, and you just can't do it. You know, the only shortcut to big antlers consistently is a lot of money, and we're not talking about that. So. Right. Yeah, I know. I actually just he reminded me while while you were talking just now. I have my application for Arizona sitting on my desk and the deadline is Tuesday and I've got to get that check in the mail or else get online this afternoon and see if they're still taking the online applications because I have to buy a preference point. I'm going to have four points now after this year so like you said in about eight more years Eddie I'll finally be able to get a good uh, elk tag in Arizona and by that time I'll have about fifteen hundred dollars in just on preference points before i even get the privilege of buying a non-resident license and spending the money that it'll take me to get out there and do the hunt it's quite yeah, a process and down that road for that is a road i've chased for many years and you know i don't know what to say about it even for the average do-it-yourself or it's still a pretty expensive proposition but maybe you can look at it as just taking a small bite out of your hide each year by you know, buying the hunting license, and I don't know. They're they're managing us. They're managing us for our money, it seems. But that's another topic. Yeah. So anyway, as we discussed, clearly there's an awful lot of uh, uh, opportunity available throughout the West if you want to go for any of those four species. And um, you know, now is the time to be doing your research and and getting on that. And uh, well now, talk a little bit, Eddie, about once you've found an area and you've got a tag, you've got to get ready. If you're going to do a do-it-yourself hunt, you know, you can't just show up because there's not going to be anywhere for you to stay or any food for you to eat. You've got to bring everything that you need with you. And I know that you've gotten soft here in recent years and gotten yourself a travel trailer that you pull behind your truck. But, uh, you know, I'm just giving you a hard time. But uh, how do right. you figure out? How do you figure out, you know, what all you need? And, and um, can you give some people some advice for planning for all the gear and provisions that they're going to have to take along with them for their hunt and how they're going to get that into the into their hunting area? Yeah. You know, generally speaking, anybody, even from back east, it camps at all. 
is going to have a basic knowledge of camping, and, and that will get you a long ways out west. The basic gear for your, you know, I call it a base camp, it's going to be similar. You know, it depends on what you choose for your main lodging, a tent, you know, a pickup camper, a pull-behind. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, just get your basic camping gear. When you go out west, though, you got to take it to one more level, generally speaking, and that would be a spike camp type, you know, setup. You're going to need a backpack and a, you know, a backpacking type tent and sleeping bag and all the miscellaneous support gear for, you know, overnighting. And um, even if you're not hunting in an area that you're going to backpack back in for an extended period of time, a lot of times, you know, just being able to stay out one night and then come back to your base camp can make a big difference in success because, you know, the the good areas may be two or three or four miles from the road, and trying to hike into that before daylight of the morning and come back out at dark just doesn't work too well. And then when you kill something, you know, you, you, you're going to have to have a way to transport the meat out. So, you know, a good quality backpack and all that support gear is mandatory pretty well to go out west. Uh, I wouldn't go without it. Uh, you might not need it, but take it. And then, you know, other than that, you know, you've got to get to different mentality. Uh, wide open spaces, you've got to prepare yourself for the shooting out there and, you know, and, and spot and stalk. Eastern whitetail hunters, especially, you know, even I spend most of my time sitting in a tree to ambush a whitetail. There are ambush scenarios out west, but at least half the time, you're going to just be in a simple spot and stalk deal. Take good optics. You need some really good, you know, binos and possibly a spotting scope. Do not go without a rangefinder because, you know, you, if you're from back east, the yardage estimation is just difficult out west. Everything looks different, and you're going to mess up. So, you know, be prepared to shoot 10 yards farther. Get yourself refined down on your shooting abilities. Add 10 yards under your effective range, and... You know, those are the main points out west that are a little different uh, to address, to be be prepared. is Backpacking-wise, be prepared to do that and prepare your, you know, your spot and stock and your shooting abilities for a little bit different game. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of adventures do you have lined up this year, Eddie? Uh, what are you working on? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about throwing together for for uh, Eddie and Peg here this year. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that, and we're talking about it right now, because I'm spending a vast amount of time right now researching all the different opportunities out west right now on my computer. Still learning. I learn a whole lot every year. Game and Fish changes things all the time. More statistics are available, better statistics. So I study a lot right now. And, you know, I've always looked at myself as... uh, kind of I call it the bread and butter hunter I hunt the species that are there I do dream about the elite species such as moose and sheep and goat and things like that but that might never occur in my lifetime those tags are outrageous to draw and very expensive to do even on your do-it-yourself hunts so I'm kind of focusing on elk mule deer whitetail and pronghorn out west like everybody else that does and Pronghorn is an early opening season. I'm going to try to do that every year. I haven't done pronghorn a whole lot in the past because I always looked at it as a little bit of a sissy hunt because it's, you know, easy, which I always wanted to work hard to kill everything I did, such as elk. And elk-wise, 
you know, I, I've got a strategy where I'm building a lot of points for premium hunts. I'm going to go on a good hunt every three or four or five years. And then I'm going to fill in in between with just standard elk hunts for average size bulls, uh, have a good time, do a little trout fishing and camping with those elk hunts. And I'm going to throw in mule deer there every so often. Big mule deer are hard to come by, but they can still be had. And uh, I love them. They're a majestic animal. They're awesome. A big velvet antler mule deer buck is is in my plans uh, hopefully this year. It depends on what I draw. The thing about it is I I can't really know what I'm even going to hunt every year until usually late spring or early summer when all the drawing results are back. And the best you can do is bankroll a little nest egg back somewhere for you to apply for these tags. And in worst case scenario, get the preference points, you know, and, and then you can start planning these trips as a do-it-yourselfer and you can always be going somewhere on a couple of different. I am blessed. I get to go on two or three western hunts each year. I live here in the right in the middle of the country, where it's not that far for me to get to the western states. But as an easterner, if you possibly just going to be able to make one good trip a year, just pick out what species, you know, mule deer, whitetail, elk, or pronghorn is your priority, and just go. Make a two-week outing each year. Get the time off work. And if necessary, you know, take the family, let them stay at base camp and support you. And uh, it, it's it's just good to be out of doors. It's good to be planning and fantasizing about it this time of year. That's what we as bow hunters do is dream. And uh, that's where I'm at right now, dreaming and planning and applying and uh, hopefully going to do a pronghorn and a mule deer and an elk hunt if I get lucky. Well, that sounds great, Eddie. And, uh I wish you the best. I know that uh, I always enjoy uh, hearing about your adventures, and uh, of course, some of them work out better than others, and that's just the way bow hunting is. And uh, right. uh, that's what uh, that's what it's all about, and that's why um, you know the readers appreciate you because you're just uh, you know you're out there doing the real deal, and uh, yep. uh, if uh, if you can do it then uh we can do it too because um you know it uh uh you're just doing it uh you're doing it the the way of the the average working man so we appreciate it right well i appreciate the opportunity to share my stuff and hopefully it helps some people to have some good times out there well that's great eddie i uh Appreciate your time today, and uh, it's always good to catch up with you. I uh, I'll look forward to hearing about what you draw here when these drawings come out. And like you said, I'm sure that once you figure that out, you'll go ahead and fill the rest of your schedule in with some of those leftover tags. And you know that's another thing to right. stress to people is, um, you know, some of the in addition to what you're doing right now. You also, I'm sure, have a pretty good idea when each of these states announces their results, and and I'm sure that you scour uh, every state and and take note of which units have leftover tags too, because most of those go on sale on certain dates on a first come first serve basis. So if there's some decent tags that are left over, that's how you can grab a couple other licenses and you can fill in, you know, a, a pronghorn hunt and a and a mule deer hunt or something like that to go along with that elk hunt that you finally drew a good tag for or something. Absolutely. Just remember, you know, it's not like it's all portrayed on the TV to where 
you know, it's a big money game and it's our only outfitted game. It's there. It's there for the average guy. You just got to set your mind to it and do the work. And, you know, what you gain from that will be worth way more than anything you get on any outfitted hunt anyway. A big set of antlers is one thing, but the satisfaction and savvy of doing the whole thing on your own is what really, you know, makes you the man you are and will, will you know, make you uh, able to, to get better at it every year to where one day you, you'll be telling everybody else how to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, Eddie. Again, I really thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And I uh, wish you the best of luck for a safe and successful 2013. Thank you. God bless. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's new ultra micro diameter injection arrows. For more information, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now. <laughs>